The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you today, sir? I'm fantastic, mate. I'm fantastic. We survived Birmingham. We've had a couple of weeks off. It is great to be back talking some Doctor Who. It is. It is indeed. And I, I well, first of all, we're covering... Uh, the Matt Smith two-parter today, Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Is that the official title of the, the second part, I think? Is yeah, it? that's the one. You got it. Yeah? Okay. Um, it was a I watched... boy. <laughs> Oh, well, that would be me. I watched, <laughs> I watched this uh, yesterday with my daughter. She was crazy excited as soon as I told her what we had to watch. Uh, and she found it on the iPlayer for me and bought it up and we started watching it. And I couldn't remember a damn thing. I know I've seen it more than once, but I couldn't remember a single bloody thing about this until virtually the end of the episode. And I was like, oh, hang on, I remember what happens next. <laughs> Let me guess, you, you remember the bit that, oh, the Doctor saves the day. Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> this was first broadcast on the 22nd of May, 2010. It's 14 years ago this year. That's crazy, Dan. Oh, my God, that makes me feel old. I was it's crazy, I was, isn't it? I were a, I were only a lad. I was twenty. I was still at university. The world was well. I was going to say bright, but it was pretty blurry with the amount I was drinking at the time. <laughs> uh, um, this also features a return of a classic Who villain, I suppose, uh, in the Silurians, which is quite interesting for me, and. It also begins with a classic Who trope, I suppose, because we're drilling. And there's lots, of drilling. there's lots of drilling in Classic Who, isn't there? There is. We, uh, it's, it's drills, Nazis, and quarries. That is mm. the uh, that is the main thing, I think. We uh, we can't put that on a T-shirt. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. No matter how certain members of uh, our <laughs> certain members of our community want us to. Well, the T-shirt suggestion effects. we actually had. Um, who was that from? Was it from Tom the Tom, Tom the Publican? Publican. Yes. Yeah. The Sorry, uh, I should say, I should say. Star of the Chase, Tom the Pope. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, the T-shirt suggest- suggestion he put forward, I-, I can see why it would suit our show, because it does tick the boxes of what comes up fairly regularly, I suppose, on the Doctor Who pod here. But it was something along the lines of Nazis, quarries, 
uh, drilling and, and nonces. And nonces, yeah. So I'm not sure you can particularly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're quite a niche little podcast as well. So the people who listen to our show <laughs> will see a t shirt like that and know what it is. Everybody else in the world will just be like, why has he got Nazis and nonces written on his chest? I can't see it, it being a big f- seller myself. It was the fact that um, they'd done it, it uh, had it commissioned into a live, laugh, love style uh, yes. font that was particularly amusing. Uh, yes. But suggest, that more suggests that we have a fondness for those things. Um, no. Which, in the context of Doctor Who, I don't know if, if fondness is the right word, but we get amused seeing them. Yeah, because they're a, a reoccurring theme, aren't they? Yeah, a trope, if you will, but... Yeah, on this one we're in uh, we're in Wales, we're in Cantaf, where there's a guy reading the Gruffalo to his son and his son can't read it and he's got audio books anyway and he's he's offering shift at the big drill. Mm. He is indeed. And when he gets there, there is a glowing hole. <laughs> a glowing hole in the big drill. There is indeed. Uh, oh my. And effectively, the earth swallows this dude. Yeah, well, his, his name's Mo, and, you know, just to give a bit of context, they've, they've got there, they're drilling deeper than anybody's drilled before. They've hit 21 kilometres down. Um, you know, the two leaders of the project are hugging and everybody's celebrating, and, and he's there just to work the night shift. Hmm. And on as his we own. All know, yeah, and as we all know, nothing can ever go wrong when you're working a night shift on your own and you've only got security monitors to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um it, well, I suppose it's something you can add to the list of things you should never do in Doctor Who, isn't it? You should never drill. Um, no, no good ever comes of exploring space. No good ever comes of exploring the, the oceans and the seas. And never work on your own. It's kind of Pretty like, much. Yeah. If you do all of that, you're going to be signed. No, no one's going to get you. I've literally got in my notes, as soon as, he, as soon as all the monitors go out and the lights go out, and all of them, you get all the sci-fi noises, I've got two things. One, just report it, dickhead. Mm. There's sci-fi noises. And two, as soon as you see the glowing hole in the floor, run the fuck away. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can appreciate why some people, not fucking me, I'll put that forward straight away, but I can appreciate (laughs) why some people might have their curiosity peaked by this Mm. and need to wander over and have a little look. You don't see a hole in the floor and think, I'm going to shove my fucking hand in it. No, that was very strange. Why, Why was his first thought fisting? (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna fist yeah. this glow hole. I'm gonna fist the glowing hole next to my big drilling tool. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes, he gets pulled into the big glowing hole, and that's the that's the beginning of the show. The intro kicks in, and the TARDIS has arrived in what everyone hopes is Rio, but it is not. And I think this is a clever little piece of comedy because Amy Pond gets to moan about not being in Rio throughout the whole two-parter. But also, I think, a clever way of getting Amy Pond just to wear tiny little shorts. does feel a bit that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, so I'm not saying I'm complaining. Oh, no, no, definitely not. Um, but just before we get onto that, did you clock who wrote this episode? No. Future Doctor Who showrunner Chris Chibnall. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're in, uh, yeah, it's, it's a Chibnall episode. Um, yeah, they're in for real, they're, but they've got a graveyard in Wales in 2020, which is in the past now. Yeah, this was trippy. And Charlie was like, wait, hang on, they said 2020. Why is that? Hang on, what? And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Charlie asked you to explain the to explain the time difference. Yeah, I was just like, look, blue grass. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, so was the doctor. <laughs> yeah, and that's the last where we head to next, isn't it? 
Yeah, um, yeah, they were investigating the bluegrass and the doctors thinking, oh, you know, the floor feels a bit odd. Uh, but there's people waving at them. Mm. Yes, and it's Rory and Amy waving at themselves. So obviously this I is... I like this. Yeah, it's them from the future. The doctor explains it as them from the future revisiting their past nostalgia thing, waving back at themselves because they know where they're going to be. Because it's obviously they're in a similar location and similar timeline where they could do this. And you're not going to get any opportunities to do that, I suppose. So, yeah, it was a nice touch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And and this is where Rory has his first whinge. I'll tell you what. I'm sorry to interrupt that. I'll tell you what. Started brilliant, this episode. It started brilliant mm-hmm. because we're, we're in a little community and I like it when the doctor deals with little community situations as opposed to, oh my God, the universe is going to end if I don't, you know, eat this sandwich or whatever he has to do, you know? <laughs> and um, so that straight away was a good start. The drilling, good start. And then weird glowing hold, sucks a guy into the ground, good start. TARDIS arrives, fantastic. Doctor and Amy walk out, fantastic. And then Rory walks out and my heart fucking sank. Because for some reason, just from those opening couple of moments, I thought to myself, this has got to be around the time Rory wasn't in it again. Uh, You're close. Yeah, I know. And I'm a little bit gutted that I was just a couple of weeks in airtime off and I had to tolerate the bastard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it only has a bit of a whinge because Amy's just like, oh, wow, we're still together in 10 years. You know, just as a, a, a little throwaway thing. And he's just like, why is that surprising? Like, gets all defense, like, you dick, I know you're punching, but come on, just at least try and enjoy it. If anything, he should be going, oh my God, she is still tolerating my bullshit in a decade's time. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of self awareness, does he, old Rory? It's a shame yeah. as well because Arthur Darville's a good actor. Well, I was about to say about this, I don't know if I've touched upon it yet in our recordings for the show, but I've started watching um, a few different programs on Netflix, and uh, the the guy's name escapes me. He's an author who has numerous um, thrillers and sort of the the twisty, turny, surprise, mystery, thriller kind of aspect things converted into TV shows, like limited mm. series, they call it on Netflix, where there's like seven or eight episodes, and that's that, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, the most recent one had uh, Michelle Keegan in it. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was quite a big thing on the start of Netflix. You know, you load Netflix, that was one of those ones that is promoted heavily when you Oh, take. yeah, I can't remember. I've not seen I've not watched it, but I know what you're on about. I heard a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, and, and it was very good. It was it was very, very good. And again, you're second-guessing everything. It's, 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 it's very clever. And I've watched a few of them now. And in one of them, Rory is in it. All right, and he's bloody brilliant. He yeah. plays he plays a rich dude who's I can't remember if his wife's dead or gone missing or something like that, and he is obviously a suspect because it's his wife. Mm-hmm. And as again, the whole mystery, the twists and turns, and so on. And he's just obnoxious and nasty, and thinks he's better than everyone else. And he's probably the exact opposite of what Rory is, except Rory is a knobhead as well. This this guy was also a knobhead in this program, but. <laughs> He was brilliant in it. Absolutely fantastic. So obviously it's the writing that's the issue for the character of Rory, as opposed to the, the actor himself. But whenever I see the guy now, I just can't help think of sulky little bitch Rory. See, I have, a, I have an advantage because I watched a series called Legends of Tomorrow, which was a, a DC Comics property. And in that, he played a character called Rip Hunter. Who was Rip time Hunter? Traveling. Yeah, Rip Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> It's a comic book thing. What do you want? Um, he, he plays a, a time-traveling uh, rogue time agent who sets up a team of superheroes and leads them on, like, um, just doing hero stuff throughout time and space. 
Okay. And he was great in that. Okay. Perhaps <clears throat> we should watch more of him in. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have bluegrass. Oh, sorry, it's not long before he has his second whinge. Oh, okay. Because, because Amy has the temerity to wear a wedding ring. Uh, engagement ring, wasn't it? Or enga- engagement ring, yes. 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 And, he's, and he's like, oh, why are you wearing that? You'll, you'll lose it. Like, For fuck's sake, man. He's like, that costs loads of money. When deep down, you know, it was about 17 quid from Argos, don't you? <laughs> Elizabeth Duke special. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason she's now got a green band on her finger whenever she takes it off. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Rory nips off back to the TARDIS to uh, take away this incredibly expensive piece of um, cubic zirconia. And <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, the Doctor has noticed blue patches of grass. Yeah. Um, so they go off to, you know, investigate. Whereas Rory is ended up in the TARDIS. Uh, uh, they leave. Rory goes back to the TARDIS, puts the engagement ring down. There's not that big a gap in time, really, is there? But somehow the Doctor and Rory, sorry, the Doctor and Amy uh, are motoring away. But Rory gets interrupted because as he comes back out the TARDIS, I don't know if he's gone for a shit or had a cup of tea or something like that, but it feels like he's in there for a little bit longer than he needs to be, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I think with this, I think they could have just shown, I think it, it's to do with the way it was cut together. They could have just had Rory put on the way no he does get collared doesn't he he goes oh. to put it in the TARDIS then we see uh, Mac and Nazarene saying Mo's gone missing and then Rory puts the ring in the TARDIS and he gets collared by um, by Ambrose and, uh, and Elliot so that makes sense of how long how it takes the Doctor and Amy to the entrance to the what the Doctor calls the big mining thing um, so no it, 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 it kind of it makes sense actually thinking about it because I was getting confused in my head that it was the other way around that we followed the Doctor and Amy first and then saw Rory. But, yeah, Rory's just got collared, and, and because he's a spineless turd, he can't say, I'm not actually a copper. Mm. And he's, you know, he's not quick enough thinking on his feet. Yes. Um, first of all, Ambrose, uh, for a lady, is a fucking stupid name. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's daft. The whole way through, they're calling her Ambrose. I mean, if, if it was an alien... I could tolerate it because it's from a different planet because they all have funny names, don't they? You, know, you don't get many aliens named Ian, for example, or, or whatever. But, I don't want to see that, though, no. Yeah, yeah, and me. Um, but Ambrose, uh, what motivates a parent to call their daughter Ambrose? I don't get it. Uh, I don't either. I'm actually looking... I'm actually just live Googling the uh, the origin of the name Ambrose. Uh, it's, a name of, uh, it's originally a boy's name of Greek on origin, meaning immortal. Right. So it doesn't apply to her in the slightest, though. Um, well, she lives to the end of it. Ah, uh, oh, spoilers, Dan. Can't, the same can't be said for certain people or beings that encounter her. Yeah, she's a bit of a knob, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> she's a so much. Yeah, she's a prick. Uh, the Doctor and a well, basically, we get, we get the story split into two here momentarily, don't we? Because the Doctor and Amy are off uh, with meeting these scientists in their little drilling area and discussing the progress they've made. They've reached a new level, a record level of drilling and so on. Um, but there's more holes in the floor and uh, other sort of perils to be taking notice of, whereas Rory is looking at the graves because bodies are going missing. But the young lad, who's obviously very oh. switched off, yeah. is explaining that they're not taken from the top. They cannot be taken from the side. So it only leaves below is removing the dead bodies. 
and they know this because it's the funeral of their auntie, I think it was, and they want the yeah. uh, family members want to be um, buried together. So when they've dug up this this particular grave to carry out these wishes, they notice the bodies are missing. It's not that they're weird and they've just gone mucking around in the graveyard and thought, bloody hell, this this soil's a bit mixed up in it. They, there's a reason for them actually knowing it. I should have, probably should have mentioned that before I started banging on about the graves, but yeah. So there we go. That's kind of the, where we are with the yeah. two the sort of split of the party, isn't it? So with that. The young lad, Elliot, absolutely steals the show because Rory's they've, they've mistaken Rory for a copper, you know, and thought the police box is a mobile crime lab. Yeah. Um, which <clears throat> I suppose fair, you know. And the kids then, you know, he's referring to his audio books again. He's saying he's and he quotes Sherlock Holmes. It was something like, when, whenever you eliminate the, you know, whenever you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left must be the truth or something like that. Yeah. However, um, improbable. Yeah, something like that. I forgot to, for me, actually, a little bit lax in my note-taking. I forgot to write the whole quote down. Um, but it's because what he follows up with Elliot, while Rory stood there in a grave with no bodies, the kid just looks at him and says, the graves around here eat people. Mm. The graves around here eat people. I apologise for my shocking Welsh accent. But <laughs> what a line, and it's delivered so matter-of-fact I thought that kid did a banging job with that line. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. But that comes just after um, we've seen um, Amy get taken uh, by uh, by one of the holes because they've had a whole thing where the the, um, the doctors figuring out what the grass is and they've been drilling because they've found minerals that haven't existed for tens of millions of years. And more of the earth starts opening up, and, and Amy tries to save Mac, and in doing so, she um, she gets taken by the by the earth but she, um, Karen Gillan in this little bit when she's just abject terror in a face of suffocating mm. and she starts to say her goodbyes oh it was good yeah really I mean the whole take away um, uh, the, the actress's performance initially the whole scenario is incredibly dramatic and incredibly dark isn't it seeing mm. the dirt uh, uh, and the sort of t- turned up soil engulfing her face and her hand as she just disappears out of sight that's incredible uh the way it's filmed and everything it was really well done add to yeah. that how talented karen gillen is uh, and literally just in her eyes the fear it, oh it's in, it's so good yeah it's, it's absolutely incredible i really love that bit and it's this is the thing where i remember watching this initially and i've watched it a lot since because I've, I've revisited tenant and smith here is quite a lot this is this was always one that I'd pop, I'd pop on in the background. I'd be doing something else. I'd want something on the telly just to, you know, glance up at every few minutes and, and watch a bit. And this was never more than that to me. It was something I could put on and it was inoffensive, in the middle of the road and just fine. But actually sitting down to dissect it, just finding little moments like that that I'd never appreciated before. That it, I was just sat there thinking, this is why, this is why one of the things I really love doing about this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I... I couldn't remember any. Obviously, when you put bring up the iPlayer now, where where I'm watching all of this, you know, there's no requirement for BritBox anymore. I suppose when I bring up the iPlayer to watch this, the thumbnail had the Silurians on it. So mm. straight away, I was like, oh, okay, okay, that rings the bell. And then the drilling did also ring a bit of a bell as well. But I don't remember masses of this period of Doctor Who. So even though I know I've seen it, and then I've watched it again with Charlie when we did our big long watch back, mm-hmm. this felt like a new program to me. 
because even when things were happening, it didn't sort of shock me into remembering what was going to happen next, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's uh, and that's good though. It's almost like going at it with fresh eyes, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, a bit absolutely. worrying that it was that forgettable. But, um, then, but then yeah. again, it is you. So well, I was going to say my absent-mindedness <laughs> works to my advantage here, but at the same time, a huge portion of Matt Smith's run, when we get into, I suppose, the middle of the Rory Amy stuff, mm. it, a lot of it blends into one. And I look back on it. I was speaking to the wife about this the other day, actually. I look back on it with pretty negative eyes mm. and I feel what, what I was explaining to Sharon now in hindsight is that I, I enjoy Matt Smith as the doctor, mm. but for a long time I looked back on Matt Smith's era, not negatively towards him. Although maybe, maybe it was negatively. That's, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, and I think he got tarnished. The, the doctor himself, Matt Smith got tarnished with a bad brush because of the Rory and Amy stuff and me hating it so much. Mm. When I watch it back, I really enjoy Smith. He's fantastic. Yeah, because he now, is. Yeah, because now watching it back, especially when we're sort of critiquing it and breaking it down for the podcast, I'm not just watching it casually and taking it in and wishing we still had Tom Baker on our screens or whatever, you know? I'm watching it... <laughs> I'm watching it sort of literally t- taking apart what's in front of me. And I realize it's not Matt Smith I disliked. Matt Smith is actually fucking fantastic. It's all the Amy and Rory stuff. And that, it's just a big cloud over this whole period in Doctor Who, for me personally. Yeah, that's fair enough. And the thing is, I, I wasn't, wasn't a big fan of that stuff either, and I'm still not in a lot of aspects. Um, but even with that, there's still some good to be found. In that, There are still still really good moments. And... One of the things you said about going back to Matt Smith, one thing I do like with him is when he's verbalising his thought process. We see this mm. with a few doctors, particularly modern who as well, because um, you know a lot, a lot of classic who was the doctor figures it out because there's no time to explain. On we go. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, this particular little portion of this, uh, this serial that we're looking, this two part that we're looking at, is just good moments, good moments, good moments, good moments. Because after all of that and the graves round here, eat people. We get Matt Smith doing his deductive reasoning. You know, well, it's not quicksand because it was targeted. It all started when the drill was coming up, so the ground's fighting back, and he's then he figures out his bioprogramming mm. using biosignals to resonate the internal molecular structure of natural objects. And it's you know you get a wee woo bit of wee woo beep boop, and the humans in the room are just completely lost. And he gets to have that moment, this really great moment. Where he looks at Nazarene and says, "Excuse me, I'm making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up." Yeah, and she looks at him. I think Nazarene's a fantastic side character, by the way. I really like her because she looks at him as if to say, "You cheeky bastard." Yeah, it's just, she's got a few great facial expressions and a couple of really good lines. She's a bit sarcastic, but also very. She's also very clever and and, and just a real asset, if you like, in this episode. Mm. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, I also really enjoy the explanation of the blue grass, and they would apparently it was a uh, containing a certain mineral that was coming up from mm-hmm. the ground, and that's why they started drilling where they were drilling in this little scenic area of Welsh countryside. And the doctor explains it's not an X marks the spot; it's not dig here; it's a warning. It's a fuck off. <laughs> yeah, oh, something's on its way up as well. But we, but we get another, we get another great moment from Matt Smith when the Doctor gets to have that gravitas to it, and you get that moment, and it's just one line that you go, 
oh shit. He tells them all to be quiet and he says, if they've stopped the drill and have, and they only have one drill, which they do, yep. then why can I still hear drilling? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's, it's not on the same level as the, um, as the, the tape recorder in the, um, uh, in the, uh, the Lonely Child, uh, not the Lonely Child, you know, the gas mask kid two-parter. Yeah, oh, I'll tell you what, my mind area. went to, the, the tape recorder's a better example, to be fair, but my mind went to the typewriter from that same story. Yeah, that was good. That was very good, yeah. But it was all like that, yeah, and the, the, now they've got these things coming up from inside the Earth. So, you know, it's not a threat from above, it's not, you know, aliens invading, it's, oh, they, no, these have been here a while. Hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, something, well, we, we say it's not a threat from the sky. There is something in the sky, isn't there? It's some red stuff, which apparently is like a barrier. And they've got almost like an upturned plastic bowl. You know, something you might make your pasta in or whatever. <laughs> um, upside down, covering this little area. And it's so nobody can get in or out. Which, again, I loved. Because it means that it's just the doctor, the select group that is around him. Yeah. And then whatever he is facing, there is no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy unit stories from classic who and the army being involved and so on at times. Mm. But to me, classic who especially, but I love it in modern who as well. It's at its best when it's the doctor, the companion, and then a select few people that he's just arrived in this, this mm. situation in. So when you get like the, the spaceship under siege kind of thing, which they had a lot of that in Triton's era um, and, and quite a bit in Tom Baker's era as well, I suppose. Robots are deaf and, and all that sort of stuff. It's literally just the select few that are on this spaceship and you can't add to that cast. You can't have huge swarming armies coming in because mm. they're isolated on this ship. So this this red bowl force field kind of thing <laughs> means that we get that aspect added to this story which I thought is yeah. brilliant because it, it makes it feel really claustrophobic and small and tight again, which I love about, about Doctor Who. I'll tell you where my mind went with it, just then as you were explaining, uh, Kablam and yes. Jimmy There you go, perfect. Within the warehouse, I know it's a warehouse planet, but still it's in select few areas, small cast, and that was a real, a real uh, strength of that episode. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I like it when it's stuff like that. The one thing I did like is the Doctor just happens to have a catapult with him and he fires a rock into the upturned mixing bowl. Mm, yeah. And then Rory chooses that moment to come back in and start talking about the graves um, because he can't make a, a moment not about him. Um, they, they, write, they even write out the TARDIS being an option because the energy signatures of the dome are messing with it. Yeah. Which I liked. And then Rory starts being a bitch after they all get in the church because he's only just realised that his wife's missing. Yeah, I mean, this happens twice here. First of all, Rory takes far too long to notice that this woman who has got no right, he's got no right being with, she is way out of his league. <laughs> she's, she's not around. It takes him far too long to notice that. And then very soon, um, after the Doctor has sent everybody out to pick up anything of an audio or or recording situation, like sort of tape recorders and, and Walkmans and all this sort of stuff, to access sensors because they're building a defence around the church. Elliot, the young boy, goes off because he wants to go get his headphones. The doctor is only half concentrating and says, yeah, sure, off you go, mate. Mm -hmm. And then it takes his mum far too long to realise that her son isn't there. What is wrong with people in this oh, no, village? No, before that, it's even worse before that, Rory's, uh, Rory's done his sulky little thing. 
and, and been annoyed. We've seen Amy getting scanned by something that looks a bit like Predator with the thermal imaging going on. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed yeah, that. That looked brilliant. And then Ambrose finally realised her husband's missing. Oh, yeah. When they're all in the church, she says, well, where's Mo? So, what? Oh, mate, if, I wish <laughs> you could see my notes right now. Because I've got, I mean, first of all, I've got, you know, Elliot goes off to get his headphones, but then it gets dark, doesn't it? They, they're, they're shutting out uh, the sun with their, you know, the, the natural light, so so to speak, with the um, mm. the force field containment red thingy. Um, and then they cut off the power to the church as well. The, 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 whatever is coming is doing this. And then they realize Elliot is missing. So my notes literally read, the power is shut off. Now she realizes Elliot is missing. And I've got, I reference her as Ambrosia in the next line for some reason. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's also correct. Or, yeah. <laughs> the custard confronts the doctor, I've put here. Carrot <laughs> custard. Because she, she, when she realizes that Mo's gone, then she starts bitching people out and she's being a massive Karen about it. And then Nazreen just cuts her off and says, I've seen the impossible today, and the only person who's made any sense of it for me is the doctor. She's smart. Nazreen is brilliant. Elliot's, worried about, yeah, Elliot's just worried about getting his dad back. And the doctor says, yes, but I need you to trust me and do exactly as I say. They've got like 10 minutes to do this. And he wants, he needs Elliot to do a map of um, a map of the village. And Elliot's worried because he's saying, he needs all the equipment and all that. He says, Elliot, I need a map. And he says, Elliot's saying, I can't do the words, I'm dyslexic. And he just, and the doctor says, that's okay, I can't make a decent meringue. Draw like your life depends on it. And... I wanted to pick up on that because he makes Elliot realise that something that he's obviously struggling with and that he feels is holding him back isn't the be-all and end-all and that he can use other talents mm-hmm. to, to help out and to, yes. and to get, you know, to find his way. And they did all that in a sentence, in two sentences. The doctors said, okay, can't do the words, I'll just try it then. Mm. Perfect, wonderful, you're still my man. You know, you're yeah. still, you know, you're still the man for the job, and it it's such it it's so easy to miss, and I'd never thought about it before until I sat down to do it for this recording, because there's you know, and I, it's one of the things I love about Doctor. It's mentioned he's got he's dyslexic, he can't do the words. Fine, we we, we adapt. Yeah, it, it, it's awesome. It's brilliant, uh, and you think as well how many kids. Uh, you know, dyslexic or struggle with various aspects of, of schooling or whatever, would have seen that at a young age and thought, okay, and and, and it, it can directly link to to their situation. It, it's great stuff, isn't mm. it? And, and it comes back to it as well. Elliot gives him map later, a little bit later on. Uh, that's after he's uh, after the doctors had to bollock Ambrose for having we- for gathering weapons, um, which he never said to do. She says, he says, "I'm asking nicely, put them away." And, mm-hmm. But she still takes a taser. And, but Elliot gives him the map and he says, perfect dyslexia, never stop Da Vinci or Einstein, it's not going to stop you. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant stuff. It's, it's <laughs> Absolutely so brilliant. Inspiring, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, we then get, uh, the, we're back to the situation of Elliot not being around. He's missing because he's gone to get his headphones. Mm. He then, he's on his way back quite quickly when we realise he is missing. But the door to the church is wooden. It gets worn oh. sticks and so on, so they can't open it. And it's an old, uh, it's a horror movie thing, isn't it? And it's yeah, really I don't like that. Yeah, because the young kid is on the outside, struggling to open the door. There's no other way or place for him to go because whatever is out there is approaching his location. Yeah. So it's a it, the, the tension builds each second that ticks by because 
you're open the door, open the door, open the door. Come on, come on, get away, open the door. But ultimately, he doesn't. He's gone by the time they, but the 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 people on the other side of the door managed to get the um, entrance way opened. He's gone, and Ambrose then gets grabbed herself when they're outside shouting for the boy, and mm. her dad, who who's Tony, isn't it? His name. Yeah, Tony Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he makes the save from Ambrose getting grabbed, but get, gets lashed with the tongue of whatever it is that's attacking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get, I suppose, not the Sonic specs, but the first sighting of Doctor Who with some clever glasses, I think, Dan? Yeah, infrared glasses. So a couple of things just to pick up on, uh, yeah. just going back on this bit. Um, when the light fades in and it's all feeling a bit like, you know, death is coming, Uh Nazarene holds Mac's hand and he just he just takes his opportunity and kisses her, and she's she's just like Tony and he's like like you didn't know and she kisses him. It's like oh that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but on, then Rory, yeah, go on, Tony, pick your spot, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe give her a heads up next time. You you were quite lucky that she didn't just smack you. Um, yeah. But then Rory shits on the whole thing because we've got the first instance of them struggling with a sticking door. And the doctor looks at him and just goes, anytime you want to help, because he's just stood there like a lemon. And Rory looks at him, can't you sonic it? And he says it doesn't do wood, which has been established. And Rory just there stood around doing nothing. Well, that is rubbish. I was like, pick your moment to be a cunt. He's an absolute fucking melt, mate. Oh, it does my head in. Absolutely d- does my head in. But that, the, all the stuff with Elliot is fantastic, because, like I say, he's topped off to get his headphones. We've got the infrared specs. Um, Tony's obviously been been lashed by whatever, um, and the doctor points out to Ambrose, who's freaking out that thinking her son's dead, uh, points out that the monsters could have killed them, so he must be alive. Mm. Yeah, um, a bit of logic which is, deployed, which is you know. Yeah, and then we have, <laughs> oh god, it's it's daft because the the doctor's out there. The, we forgot to say before, there's a Meals on Wheels van. Because uh, Ambrose is, runs Wheels on Wheels for the area. Uh-huh. Um, and he's the doctor's there whistling to get the attention. Gets a fire extinguisher, takes one out with a fire extinguisher, then him and Rory bundle it into the back of the van. So now both sides have hostages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also got that I know who they are because the heat specs don't pick up on the body and they're, they're cold-blooded. Yes. So he's aware now that who or what he is dealing with. The, the doctor, I mean. Um it's a Salarian, we, we know this. The Doctor is then talking with his captive uh, after we see a quick cutaway to Amy waking up in a glass box and then being oh, gassed. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And then getting Ooh. gassed to knock herself out, to not, to not to knock herself out, but to knock her out again. Um, Alea is the name of the captive that the Doctor and his little troop in the church have. Mm. And this, this uh, opening exchange. Yeah, she's very keen on going to war, isn't she? Yeah, but um, she says that she's the last of her species. Mm. And the doctor just goes, no, last of the species, the Clempari defence. As an interrogation defence, it's a bit of old hat, I'm afraid. And she doubles down on it. And he just looks <laughs> looks her dead in the face. And he's still got half a smile on, on his on his visage, but he's he's really struggling with his anger, you can tell. This is no, you're really not, because I'm the last of my species and I know how it sits in a heart. So don't insult me and let's start again. And it's just, it's a brilliant moment because it encompasses the doctor. He's furious that somebody's yeah. trying that bullshit. 
Yeah. Because he feels it so personally. But he's putting that aside to try and end all this peacefully. Yeah, definitely. It's brilliant. Yeah, she, she's a layer. She's, the tribe's been sleeping for 300 million years. Uh, got woken by the drill and they thought it was a weapon because it went near the life support system. But now she's very keen on, on wiping out um, wiping out the vermin from the surface and reclaiming the planet. Mm. Um, and he's, he's, the doctor's pointing out, you know, one tribe of Homo reptilian. And he actually references, uh, I don't know if it's at this point or a bit later on, I think it's just after this, um, when he says, oh, the Silurians, uh, or some may call Eos- uh, it Eocenes, which is a bit of a callback to uh, when they appeared in the Pertwee era. Yes. Yes, 1970, I want to say. I might be wrong with that. I'm sure UTT Rob can correct me. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think it was 1970 when the original Doctor Who and the Silurians story came out. Mm. And there's there's little throwbacks in this that touch upon what happened in that story as well. And it is a fantastic tale. That, that's a really good classic Who story that we should... Uh, we should check out so but anyway moving on um the doctor is going to go under the surface to go and speak to uh speak to these uh, silurians and he tells the others that alea is their best bargaining chip yeah and, and they need to be the best that they can be the best of humanity yes and then max uh, tony max saying do we need to di- examine and dissect her for weaknesses and the doctors say, no, we can land this together if you are the best you can be. Mm. Be brilliant, decent people. Nobody dies today. And what makes me laugh is Nazarene starts, she's obviously inspired by this and starts applauding. But she's very <laughs> much she's very much on her own. Well, because everybody else is shitting the pants. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Um, <clears throat> Aaliyah's got a different idea to this, though. Because she basically tells the three that are left behind. Because the doctor and, oh, I forget her name, sorry. I know you just said it. Nazarene. Yes, Nazreen. The Doctor and Nazreen are heading down below the surface. And Aaliyah basically explains to Rory, Tony, and um, uh, Custard Lady that <laughs> one of you will kill me, and this will then ignite a war. And then war like, will spark up my death, shall ignite a war, and every stinking ape shall be wiped from my beloved planet. Yeah. I know which one of you will kill me. Do you? Yeah. Again, quite chilling, isn't it? It's quite yeah. Uh, it's great. Again, very well delivered. Indeed, um, the TARDIS is how the uh, the Doctor is going to head below the surface, but it's kind of took out of his hands because it then starts getting dragged under anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets it gets a little bit hijacked. They uh, they get down there, and uh, they're moving through. There's there's a lot more of um, of a sort of the tunnel system than they thought. And they're essentially the only reason they're not burning alive is due to the Silurian tech. Mm. Um, and then the Nazarene's saying, This is like every day to you. And he says, Oh, not every day, every other day. And they just go off exploring. <laughs> I love that. It was a brilliant little thing. And then amidst all this, we've got Mac. Uh, Tony Mac is really struggling as the poison's moving through, and you can see it having an effect on him. Uh, you know, he got done in the neck, and it's just spreading into his chest. Mm. And then Amy wakes up strapped to uh, sort of an examination board, and uh, Mo's there. He's awake, he's alive, and tells him they're in decontamination, but he's got a massive scar where they've cut into him and, and had a look at what's inside. Yeah, that's <sighs> scary, isn't it? That, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this, I think, is really well done because it's done more so by suggestion or leaving you to your own imagination of the horror that has happened. 
yeah. by by showing you what's coming up and then cutting away, or by a scene like this that is showing you what's already happened and may occur again to another character, yeah. without actually showing you the graphic, scary, uh, scary thing they're hinting at, I suppose. Which yeah, you don't really, see the guard. Really clever, isn't it? It is. It is very clever. Um, and then to to sort of complement that, we then see a Silurian doctor or scientist, you know, mask and and with all the medical gear on, just bearing down on Amy with the with a scalpel. Mm. And that's the last we see of Amy in this episode. And you think, wow, oh shit, that that could have been the end of the episode. But instead, the doctors they're moving through saying it's a small settlement housing, maybe a dozen. And then Nazreen walks into a chamber, and there's it's an entire civilization underneath the earth. And the, you realise the stakes are so much higher. Yes, and that's why the episode ends. And, and that's I think that's a great cliffhanger. It just you know has you thinking, oh shit, we've got to watch next week now. You know, I think that's really yeah. well done. Yeah, it's decent. Mm. Uh, part two begins with the Doctor and Nazri getting caught and gassed, basically. <laughs> a lot of gas in this episode, isn't there? There is. There is. Yeah, Salarian farts are deadly. Mm, yeah, I imagine so. I, imagine, I wonder what they eat, their diet. I, I imagine worms for some reason. I don't know if it's because well, of the lizard aspect or... Yeah, well, the reptilian, so I'd imagine... I'd imagine Crickets. meat. You know, some form of meat, yeah, you know, animal. They'd definitely be carnivores of a sort or insectivores. Locusts and stuff like that. Yeah, but how are you going to get them down there? Oh God, what if, what's if? Ooh, what if that's what they were doing with the corpses? Ah, uh, yeah. Did I tell you about the lizard that was in my bed? <laughs> no, do tell. <laughs> okay. Um, when I moved back to my parents in the in, in my twenties, um, I ended up in the box bedroom because you know I'd moved out and, and so on, and that was all that was left. My dad had a bearded dragon in a massive glass tank that was in this room so i basically had uh, a mattress on the floor because it was a temporary arrangement a mattress on the floor and then this bloody great bearded dragon lizard thing in me in the glass tank staring at me all night every night yeah exactly and um, <laughs> <laughs> and these things eat locusts crickets massive bugs basically you know, huge fucking things. They make a racket that you know the rackets. They make you 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 know. I don't need to explain what they do, but you buy them in, I suppose, almost little takeaway tub containers. Mm. So if you order like a Chinese and you get the little um, <laughs> Tupperware, uh, little rectangular Tupperware pots that have your sweet and sour sauces in and all that sort of stuff, that's kind of what you buy them in. And there could be 10, 15 of these crickets in these pots that are sort of half the size of an A4 piece of paper, potentially, I suppose. Mm. And my dad used to buy them in bulk because George, the the lizard's name, would, um, you know, he would eat a great deal. He was a big old fucker. (laughs) They were stacked up on top of the... um, (laughs) <laughs> on top of the tank for you know that's just where they were kept uh, mm. i came home from the pub one evening well i say evening it was the early hours of the morning and i was <laughs> slightly inebriated shall we say i oh, can remember never. i can remember walking into the bedroom and then thinking oh shit no i need a piss i'm gonna get a drink before i go to bed turning around quite quickly and my coat the zip on the end of my jacket catching the corner of one of these pots that's on the tank and I took the whole lot off. Now, 
he's dropped to the floor and spill open. And there must have been, I don't know, four or five of these pots, probably with ten apiece in there. Oh, and, dear. And they went fucking, it was like a plague, mate. It was something like you read about in the Bible. It was fucking terrible. They went everywhere. And I reckon for a month, my parents were catching these bugs downstairs. And they were catching them in the back room. They, they might see them out in the driveway. They were fucking everywhere. You'd be sat on the toilet, you know, doing your business. And then you'd hear, eh, 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 turn around. There's one of these fucking things crawling around the floor behind you. They were everywhere. Mm. Fucking weeks. My parents were not amused in the slightest. No, no, and that's how you ended up homeless. Uh, pretty much, mate. That and, I was, that, that and I was sick on their carpet. But that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> Back to Doctor Who. Part two of this uh, two-parter opens, and we get a bit of a voiceover. It's almost an Attenborough-esque voiceover saying, "This is the story of our planet Earth, of the Doctor who, who helped our races find common ground and the sacrifices he made." Um, which I thought was, and it's a bit of a throwback to. I like how these things line up because we haven't, we did all this at random. We didn't plan any of these these selections, but we see the um, a shot from space of Earth, and it does a little bit of a zoom in, like we saw in the um, the Eccleston episode we've covered this uh, this season and in the Tenant Christmas special. Yeah, yeah, it's all tight in, doesn't it? Yeah, it's almost like we planned it and we didn't because we're not that smart. No, we are not. Um, Amy and Elliot's dad, Mo, I think you said his name was? Yes. Uh, they escape, and they're having a bit of a walkabout, seeing what's going on, um, and they come across Elliot in a tank of his own with a little wiry thing stuck to his mush, and that was yeah. that's a creepy image as well, isn't it? Yeah, because he's just been sort of held there, isn't he? Um, mm. And this is after the... the... Oh, sorry. No, this is where the yeah, this is where the Doctor and Nazarene get gassed at the start of the episode. Yes, um, decontaminated. It's called, isn't it? Well, yeah, sort of. But we have um, what I did like is the sort of the beginning of the medical exam on Amy, where he's saying, uh, saying, "Oh, the uh, the clothing on the female indicates that they're more resistant to the cold," and she's there. So I dressed for Rio, <laughs> <laughs> and he just gets called away. Does the uh, the the Salarian doctor or scientist? Um, to go and diagnose something else, and Amy's just casually pickpocketed, pickpocketed him. Mm. Thought that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, oh god! So we have all that. It's, it's pretty good. You know, Amy's Amy and Mo. They're looking around. They've got weapons, and they're trying to force the Silurian scientists to release Elliot. And then we're back to Rory and Ambrose, the two least likable characters in this story. And Ambrose is bitching him out for pretending to be police and why is it happening to them, blah, 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 blah. And Rory has to, again, explain the concept of a hostage exchange. So dumb. She's just she's yeah. willfully dumb. I get, I, get, I get the whole thing of panicking and she just wants her family back and, and she's scared and all that, but just, just take a breath and fucking think. Mm. Indeed. Um... Tony also heads to see Aaliyah for a bit of assistance or guidance with regards to the venom that he has now mm. in, going through his body from her her tongue lashing, shall we say? And is there a, is there an antidote? Is there anything she can help with? And she basically tells him to get fucked, go and die in a corner. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she says she, she's 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 mocking him for about the burning in his blood and. and 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 she mocks his offer to sort of betray his people and then she just looks at him and says i want to watch the first ape death of the coming war mm. and while this is happening um the doctor's being tortured under the decontamination 
and we we encounter Restak, who's who's Alea's sister, I believe. Yes, and she's having a pop at the scientist. But we quickly realise that in in their society that they rank the same, so neither one can can countermand the other. Mm. She's Which really was a nice keen on having a. She's really keen on a war as well, isn't she? Yeah, they're both up for a banny, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they fancy a scrap. They're like girls from Liverpool. They're both up for a scrap <laughs> at any point, aren't they? You know. Um, <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> uh, the doctor is not an ape. As they try, as as he's yelling at them, um, because the decontamination is there to try and stop any of the ape, uh, human kind of DNA or, or whatever bacteria, killing off the the Silurians in their own location. But the doctors are saying that it could kill me because you mm. know I'm I'm not what you think I am. And then he asks, well, when it's all shut down, he asks for some celery, and I love that. That was I a real did. nice yeah. touch. I did like that because it's just a nice little call back to Peter Davison. But then we see as well, you know, it's it's funny in a way with the with Restack and, and and Ambrose, they're sort of two it's almost two sides of the same coin because they both can't see beyond their own interests. Yeah. You know, Restack can't see be past the you know, the doctor and the humans being an army or, you know, an invasion force. It's it's a real interesting sort of parallel between the characters. It is. It is. Um, and whilst uh, all this is going on we see Amy and Mo still having a bit of a stroll about, you know, taking in the scenes and whatnot. And they come across two Silurians in suspended animation, basically, is, is what they decide they are. They're in these kind of um, columns, almost Cyberman-esque from numerous different Cyberman stories, just kind of stood there waiting to be activated, so to speak. And there's something really chilling about that image, whether it's the Cybermen or all the Silurians here. And... They're having a look at what what surrounds them, basically. And there's weapons they can take. So they, they grab the guns from these uh, frozen soldiers, for want of a better phrase. And there's also these transport discs they're stood on, which would, in theory, be a way of getting back up to the surface. So they, they sort of almost forming half a plan, I took this as Dan. Yeah, it's forming half a plan of how they can get away, and, and it's a real insight into the sort of level of technology and and, and sort of threat that the Salurians could post. Um, mm. So, and and again, it's it's done in a in a matter of seconds. I did find it funny when Amy and Mo both scared themselves shitless as they activated the lights and then saw the soldier there. <laughs> that yeah. was a, that was a sort of moment of levity. But then they walk in and find this chamber with a massive army, all in suspended animation. And that makes the plans change very quickly. They have to find the Doctor. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And um, so the next bit, sorry, um, is kind of the start of the downfall because Tony Mack's searching around for some medicine or painkillers or anything and he's, he's just trying to get Ambrose to fuck off and leave him alone. Um, and then she doesn't because, you know, he's, he's a dad. And, and the, this bit I do sort of get with Ambrose because she just wants to help him. And yeah. I do get that. Because, you know, he's poisoned, you can see it spreading, he doesn't know what's happening. They, they are shit scared. Um, and she, she's like, well, we just need to bring your temperature down first off, because that's that's all you can do. But this, her, her realising what's happening to Tony, sort of triggers everything that goes on from here. In terms of Ambrose mm. and Alea and, and, and all of that. Because it, it's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, again, with Ambrose. Oh, yeah. Well, she, she, she's, she's lost, she's lost a, her husband, she's lost a son, her dad's dying. You know, that is, that's enough to send anybody over the edge. 
Oh yeah, totally. It, she, it, she's, really, she, it really is. <clears throat> she's an absolute knobhead, but she's a knobhead whose motivation I can understand. Yeah, uh, but she's also you know you're also dealing with well not not aliens but you know creatures that you never knew existed from under the earth. I don't know. It's even you've been told you need to be the best you can be in absolutely no death. Mm. Would that not make you stop and think? I mean, obviously, it's, everybody's different, and it's impossible to know until you're in a situation like that. I just it seems that Ambrose goes very quickly to thinking of weapons and torture and, and fighting and and all the rest of it the, the same way that that Alea and Restak do. Yeah. And again, I think that was very clever because these are two two separate sides of the same coin for me. You've got so many similarities between the the human character of Ambrose and some of the Silurian characters as well. Yeah. And I think that's, again, a really clever piece of writing because they're clashing, but they're so similar. It's, that's what I was trying to get at earlier. Yeah. Um, I did it probably a bit clumsily. Um it's it, and it's it's a deeper thing. It, it it goes down into the doctor's sort of very anti-war uh, and anti you know anti-violence, and it's just showing that neither side is is, is right. Mm. In in this instance, you know you've got one side thinks they're being invaded, so lashes out as you would because you know you've been woken up and oh shit this is threatening our entire civilization. What do we do? Yeah. On the other side, they're drilling down. They don't know what's down there. These things have come up and start to start kidnapping people. Mm, yeah. What do you do? You sit down and you talk. Eventually, and, and interestingly enough, nobody see, sorry, because nobody can see beyond the threat. Uh, then they're just bump. They're, they're very willing to destroy each other. Mm, yeah, uh, and it's literally around this this same time in the episode that the doctor talks of um more Solarians in the past he's dealt with a throwback to the, the john pertwee story again and they ask what happened there and it's a similar sort of tale and this is where i get the little throwbacks i suppose might not be the correct term but little touches back to this 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 older story because the doctor explained oh the humans attacked and they all died because yeah. the big thing with the pertwee story is the motivation of the Doctor to negotiate peace between the two groups, the humans and the Silurians. And when it looks like they've got that, the Brigadier blows the fuckers up anyway. Yeah, and it's, you, can that, the, you can see the disappointment in the Doctor's face still lingering. Yeah. It's great. And, and one thing I did like as well is that the these Silurians went into hibernation because their scientists calculated an extinction-level collision that was imminent when it was actually the moon coming into alignment with Earth. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant little touch. And what I was gonna, well, the only thing I would have changed about that is they say an extinction level threat's imminent. I would have had that be the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. Cause okay, because then, then it links to Peter Davidson and uh, and your favourite character Adric. He can get in the fucking bin, that dude. <laughs> but this is another because the Doctor doesn't lie and he's upfront about it. That just then provokes Restack mm-hmm. as well. And this is when we get. So I think this is this next little bit is a great sort of spark in the whole episode, and but it's also a bit weak because Ambrose approaches Elaine and is wanting a cure for her dad, 
Right. And Ambrose has got the taser and she's threatening her with, threatening Alaya with torture. And she's allowing herself to be goaded by Alaya. And she's rationalising it. She's saying she's just protecting her family and she's desperate and she's losing everything. And she's trying to appeal to Alaya. Alaya doesn't care at no. all. And it's obvious she doesn't. Even demanding um, Ambrose use the taser. She, I think she's... Her. Sorry to interrupt that. I think Alaya is almost... Uh, the mindset of she's she's dead already in her mind. She wants to die to spark the war. She's already yes. said. Yes. She's already said she wants to, she wants to be the, the 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 spark that ignites the flame. Yes. And that's insane. That she believes so wholeheartedly in 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 reclaiming what was theirs millions of years ago with no knowledge of what's happened since. It's nuts, and then. She just goads and mocks Ambrose. And I can see, again, can completely see why it would push Ambrose over the edge. Mm. But Ambrose, yeah. Ambrose, Ambrose uses the taser and she taunts after she's been talking about having the most to lose and being the weakest and she knew it'd be her. Alea dies really easily for a warrior. She, a couple of zaps off the taser. Yeah, I guess. But... And then she has a little, she has a little deathgasm. Deathgasm. Well, did you not hear the noise she made when she died? Yeah, she I was did. really enjoying that. But <sighs> I've got no, I've got no real problems with her dying like that. It, it's technology that they might not be aware of. She's been yeah. sacked at close range. I, I, I mean, I've never run an electrical current through a lizard, so I don't know what happened. No, no, nor me. Surprisingly enough, nor me. Um, I didn't even notice about a layer. Was, you know, dying easily as you mentioned until you've just pointed it out mm. and I agree with you I, I, I get your point now you've brought my attention to it but before then it, it didn't even enter my mind if I'm honest yeah and, and uh, Alea had to die they couldn't do anything more sort of gory you know you couldn't have yeah. Ambrose with a gun you couldn't you know say oh that she's just shot her in the head even allude to it they needed to kill her in a way that, that wouldn't leave any any splatter Splatter. <laughs> <Let us> <laughs> what, what did they call it in Watchmen? Uh, called blood human bean juice. Um, <laughs> so you know, I understand why it had to happen. Maybe Alea knew something about physiology that would, you know, that she figured out the weapon and then blah de blah. So you can rationalise it, but it did just still feel a bit easy. Mm, yeah. But again, it's yeah, not okay. the worst thing in the world. It's just it's something that I've watched this episode so many times. I look at it. I've looked at it even when not analysing it for the show and just got it's a bit weak. Right. It's it's Carlin Black Label, it's piss weak. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we get Rory's patching Mac up, and he's still managing to be a bit of a knob and have a whinge because he's saying, Why didn't you tell me? I'm a nurse. Like, what are your busy mates all of a sudden? You know everything about each other. It's like, What the fuck? You've, been, you've known each other for like an hour. And also, what the fuck is he going to do? <sighs> yeah. Oh, I've, yeah. <laughs> I can stitch it up, but you're still poisoned. I'll get you a plaster. I'm not. I'm not disparaging nurses. It's Rory. I'm having a go at here. What the fuck yeah, is he going to do? Yeah. I mean, unless unless the doctor's furnished him with some interstellar um, med kit that we don't know about, then mm. you know it's like Batman's utility belt as well. Yeah, I've got my Silurian anti venom just here. Yes. <laughs> In a thermos flask or something. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's, but you know, th- this bit needed to happen, um, and. I do like the collective. I do like the look of, of Rory and Matt and Tony's faces where they're just like, "Oh, we are in the shit." Yeah. 
Yes, indeed. Um, meanwhile, the Doctor and Nazri are being held captive in what we find out is their courtroom, the Slurian's courtroom. Very grand, very golden. Yeah, I liked it. It was good. Um, mm. But this is where Amy and Mo, Elliot's dad, arrive. And they seem to be uh, saving the day with their Silurian fart gas guns. For a um, second. <laughs> before they're quickly overpowered and they're held captive too. So that's the end of that. Uh, we then... again, sorry, again, we see the scientist is kind of, kind of trying to play the doctor's role on the human side of things and calm things down. And then Restat just goes, military tribunal, back to your lab, and we find out his name is Malachi. And he's like, back to your lab, Malachi, this is, and, he, and we're executing him. Death time. Murder o'clock. Um, <laughs> what? Murder o'clock. Sounds yeah. like a really bad 1980s, you know, mystery murder mystery show, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, now, Channel 4, murder o'clock. Yeah. I do like I do like something I know. <laughs> I do like when Amy apologizes to the doctor for the shit rescue as well. And and the face in a firing squad. And you get the sort of all this lost moment. And they leave it on like a mid on like a mid-show cliffhanger. Because mm. we're going back to to Mac and Rory and, and Custard Lady. We are. And Restack um beams a signal to an old computer monitor to be able to communicate with them and effectively says release a layer or your friends will die mm. you know but return my sister or i'm going to butcher all your mates and everyone is a bit like oh shit bit of a problem yeah. there we've killed the fucker so, <laughs> so during, during this as well it's a right laugh because amy's tied up there and Roy's like oh my god amy and she's and amy's just like no don't be so clingy uh, which <laughs> i thought was hysterical yeah. Um, and Max, Max just playing it cool, and he's like, Are "You having fun? You know, is it good down there?" Because Nazarene's there, and then Ambrose just completely takes over, proving that Rory is absolutely is, is Carling Black Label <laughs> this week, and she's yeah. just demanding a family back, and Restack orders Amy to be executed, and there we go. You know, we think, right, that's it then, and then we get uh, Eldane comes in, who's obviously one of the uh, the Silurian elders, and. Restat tries to defy him, but Eldin's just like, "Yeah, you ain't gonna." That tickled me as well because oh, oh, I forget the scientist's name. It begins with an M, doesn't it? Malika. That's it. He's obviously nipped off to go, and it's almost like telling Daddy, isn't it? <laughs> you've got you've got the crazy lady Slurian who is uh, Restak, who is hell bent on war and destruction and killing fuckers, and he's like, "I don't fancy this," but she's like, "Well, I'm gonna do it anyway." So he's nipped off and gone and woken up her boss and said, do you know what's going on over here? So, I mean, don't get me wrong, right decision, but he's a bit of a snitch, isn't he? You have to, you have to though, don't you? Mm. What, what person in the right mind wants war? Yeah. Um, and I love Malachi's line because Restak's getting all pissy at him and he just looks at her and says, we're not monsters and neither are they. Yeah, that's good. Brilliant line. And then she accuses him of, of being an ape lover. And he's like, well, I've been awake. I, I've been awake this whole time. I've seen the revolution. You know, I, I'm, he knows more than she does, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, and then Restak saying, oh, we used to hunt them for sport, and now they've polluted the planet. And she's got a point about the pollution. Yes. But, you know, it's one of those, and Eldain just, to, to, Eldain has a great line. He says to Restak to go play soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
lizard burn. Um, <laughs> also, maybe not a bright idea to uh, to provoke the genocidal captain of your armies like that. Oh yeah, because she does kick off a little bit, now, don't she? But we'll come to that. Shortly. A little bit of a tanty. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the doctor then communicates to uh, with Rory via the um, old computer monitor and says everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Just bring the lizard you've got in the back room that is one hundred percent not dead because I trusted you all and you haven't killed her, so everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and Rory's standing there going, "Oh fuck." Um, <laughs> The uh, then we get a, a scene that I think has happened in different Doctor Who tales in different ways. Mm. We have effectively the humans and the Silurians across the table from each other, negotiating effectively for the future of the planet and their and their two races. Yeah, both both species have a legitimate claim to the planet. Um, Amy and Nazarene are Earth representatives. You know, just drop them right in that. Um, It it casually drops in that they're time travellers. And then Smith gets to give one of the sort of underrated little speeches. Because this one doesn't get talked about a lot, but I really liked it. And just word for word, he says, there are fixed points in time where everything must stay exactly as they are. This is not one of them. This is an opportunity, a temporal tipping point. Whatever happens today will change future events, create its own timeline, its own reality. The future pivots around you here now, so do good for humanity and for Earth. Mm. Love that, brilliant, absolutely brilliant writing, and it's just like, well, no pressure there then. <laughs> and it's it's a wonderful little because it doesn't go it doesn't go on for massively long. You know, they keep coming back to it and, and as they're figuring it out, and Nazarene's immediately saying, "Well, how the hell are we going to sell this to people on the surface?" <laughs> And he just, the doctor says to her, he says, come on, be extraordinary. And she just, she has this great look on her face where she's just like, oh, you fucker, you've convinced me. (laughs) You know, she's like, she's worried about it, but she actually really wants to do it. And the doctor's fully clocked her on it. And she's just like, oh, yeah, yes, all right then. (laughs) Uh, This next moment was quite clever. I mean, it uh, subtles the wrong word, but. It adds something that comes up and is quite important shortly where um, Ambrose has a little chat to Tony, to Mac, and then Tony is at a computer. And again, it's quite mm-hmm. just a quick little cutaway scene or whatever, and you could easily miss it or think nothing of it. Um, and then we go back to the negotiations. Oh, Ambrose, Ambrose, manip- Ambrose manipulates him. Yes, yes. So she, wants to, she, wants to set, she wants to set off the drill, and she says, think about your grandson. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of just the opposite of what we're talking about there because the doctor's just gone, come on, I know you can do it, I know you want to do it, so be extraordinary. And then Ambrose has just just like a complete opposite of just said, I could kill your grandson. And effectively say, saying, do you want revenge before anything, before anything fatal has happened? Mm. Which is a bit of a shit. Um, there's a lovely little bit with, um, with Malachi and the doctor now because... Malachi has been on his own for 300 years, studying, monitoring, and just watching humanity grow. And his family have been doing this for millennia, you know, because they're very long-lived species. And the doctor finds out that he's been on his own all this time, just, just you know, doing his little experiments and monitorings and all that. And he, he looks at him and he just goes, Malachi, I'd rather love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because that's probably what the doctor would do, given half a chance. Yeah. And, you know, they have the, the wake Elliot up and then they have um, 
he has the reunion with Mercus. What Malachi was doing was uh, studying Elliot. It slowed his life cycle down to about a millionth of what it normally would be. So he can really monitor how humans age and, and change and all that. Mm. But then he <laughs> wake Elliot up. Big reunion. He's like, where are we? And the doctor looks at him, to be honest, we're in the centre of the earth and there are lizard men. And you just, <laughs> you, just see, you just see Malachi's face behind it and Elliot in the way that only a kid could just goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, this is happening. <laughs> um, the negotiations are, are continuing and they're a bit tricky because Silurians want space on the surface and they're trying to think, well, how can we make this work? So they come up with the idea of maybe areas that humans don't inhabit they could have those mm. but what's in it for the human race and and slurians enter around and say well we can provide new energy methods medicines and so on so it's supply science yeah, it, yeah it's coming to a it's coming making to an understanding we're making progress um but whilst this is going on we have i, I suppose two parties away from the conversation that are going to set that progress back first of yeah. all we have restack waking soldiers up from their slumber building herself a, her own little mini army um Malik, she, she, oh, she was Malika. yeah charlie was like oh no that was her exact words when it happened and it's like yeah i forgot i forgot about that i was gutted yeah it was completely unnecessary um but she's building a little army because she's she's pissed about what's going on and then at the same time rory Ambrose, uh, etc., arrive with a dead Alea. Um, and the doctor's reaction to this, well, just Matt Smith's uh, facial expressions when he realizes, literally, he says the line, Oh, something's wrong. And then he twigs and his, his reaction in his face, the disappointment, oh, I suppose, towards the human race. And again, it's something that pops up in the the original Solarian story what would it be 50 odd years ago now it's just really well done isn't it it's fantastic one thing though that i noticed uh, when rory ambrose and tony walking do you know it's the sick guy it's the dying guy that's carrying the body that's because rory's a little bitch and ambrose mm. could have carried a layer between them yeah but no we'll let we'll let big tone carry it because he's the biggest despite the fact he's freaking dying um, oh dear. but yeah when when it comes to Matt Smith when he just looks at him and says don't do this tell me you didn't do this and it, then the fury the barely contained fury in his face when he says tell me what happened and at this point you know Elliot's run to his mum as, as a kid would and all of that and then she admits that it was her and he Elliot immediately pulls away from it and everybody in that room is just sickened yeah and she's stood there going I just wanted you back and everybody He's just like, oh, you wanker. Yeah. And then the doctor's having to plead to Eldin saying that he didn't know that humanity's better than this. Ambrose chooses that moment to go full Karen saying it's our planet, leave us alone. Yeah, well, just shut up. Just, just shut just, the fuck yeah. up. Oh, the doctor claps back brilliantly, though. He says, we had a chance here. In future, when you talk about this, you tell people there was a chance. And he's like, but you were so much less than the best of humanity. He gives her a right decent bollocking. And rightfully so. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, Restak arrives and sees her her dead sister, and naturally she is fucking angry. She wants to start killing people. Um, but this is where we find that the drill is set to restart in fifteen minutes, 
and it's going to cause all sorts of problems for oh, Silurians and so Ambrose. on. And that was Ambrose getting Tony to make that happen as well. It's when she stands there as well when Restack, she she sees it with a layer, and she lets out this just this mournful like sort of wail, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Ambrose is still stood there, just going, "I did the right thing." She's just got that look on her. She's just got that look on her face. And again, I can, I, I, on many levels, I can get it. But you've just fucked it for humanity. She's just a piece of shit, mate. She's just an absolute fucking oh. tool. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it, it, it's more annoying that you can understand the logic and the reasoning. It, it, make, it makes it someone more annoying. And, and oh, we'll come to it. But she's like, she's the only one that doesn't really lose much out of this. Mm. Apart from the chance, obviously, at peace and a better world and all of that. That's everybody's loss. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I then find that the end of the story, this, this, this particular story here, gets ran through very quickly. I mean, I appreciate we've got the countdown of of the drill restarting and the doctor has to uh, beat this and so on. So that makes you feel like things are accelerating anyway. A countdown always always adds that extra aspect to whatever you're watching. Mm. But I feel that what happens at the end of the episode, the sort of ongoing tale of the crack in the wall and, and the stuff with Rory and so on, I feel that that takes up quite a bit of time which almost feels like the end of this tale. I wouldn't say it's rushed, but I wish they gave it just an extra minute or two to breathe, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's a weird little pacing issue because you know, the, the guns start firing and, and all of that, and we've got 12 minutes till the drill starts. Um, Tony's been poisoned and, and the, thinking the decontamination program might work because he's mutating. That's mm-hmm. sell the interrun it and they figure out that they've got this sort of this program they can set off that's a, a, a city-wide decontamination that'll put everybody back in the chambers unless yeah. they want to die, effectively. Uh, it's it's almost like a warning, isn't there, first of all? Yeah. Saying yeah. it's coming, so. And, you know, Restak is, is there. She still wants war. She still wants to fight. But Tony will have to stay down there in suspended animation. Nazreen chooses to stay with him because they have to destroy the drill. Mm-hmm. They have to get rid of her life's work. So she says, well, I'm not going to give up what I've what I've only just found, which is which is her and Tony. Um, and the, you know the doctor sets him an alarm for a thousand years, and all. But it gets it get that those bits get done ridiculously quickly. Yeah, there's not enough. And he's calling it super squeaky bum time and all that. Yeah, there's um, there's not enough chance to let the character of Tony and let the character of Nazri almost have their emotional moment, is there? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you give, she gives the doctor a big hug. The runoff as Amy and Amy's come back from. So like, come on, and then we get another voiceover from Eldane about sending the warriors back and a promise of future harmony. Rory runs past Amy and the doctor because he was coming to get them, and Amy just says, "Other way, idiot." <laughs> <laughs> Which I liked, but then there's all this big rush, and then everybody stops for the crack in the wall. They've mm-hmm. got minutes, absolute minutes, and it's just they're just there, and you know, I get that the need to figure it out but really at that very moment when they've got a few you know when they've got minutes or seconds to to get this sorted 
it just seems it then see that bit seems to drag you right. The, the pacing's all the way off. Yeah. Rory finally, Rory's finally useful and, and takes a, a shot from Restack that was meant for the Doctor. Hooray! Yeah, and and the pointing out saying you know well they're on the hill so he can't die and then he's saying well it, you know times in flux and the Doctor has to choose has to choose do they all stay out there and get taken by the crack or get the, you know get gassed or or blown up. Mm-hmm. What do they do? He makes the choice and leaves Rory out there because he's dying anyway. Yeah, um, and the crack and if, kind if, of engulfs him. Yeah, yeah, Rory gets engulfed in crack. <laughs> like a Saturday night in Gloucester. Um, <laughs> Depends on the crack. We're in the TARDIS and the doctor's trying to get Amy to keep Rory in her memories, keep thinking about him. That's the only way he'll survive. But then she quickly forgets, which is not her fault. Well, yeah, it's because there's a big, um, the TARDIS lands with a crash and it breaks a concentration. Mm. The doctor pockets the, the engagement ring as well. But again, a really good performance from, from Karen Gillan and Matt Smith here in this little, it's not even a scene. It's a scene lit, isn't it? It's a few seconds. Where he's saying, you know, keep the memory, keep the memory. And it, the desperation in his voice, Amy's struggling, and just they're just bloody good actors. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Day. A- Amy has forgotten Rory at this point. Um, we see the drill get because I mean, the doctor sends an energy pulse to destroy the drill, mm. and this uh, causes the, the the massive piece of machinery to explode, and. It, this this is where I think we've had this conversation before, where CGI doesn't age well. Yeah, this didn't look as good as the rest of the episode. Just this one no. little moment of the drill exploding, it looked like bad CGI. You know, it did. Yeah, it, it wasn't brilliant. Um, but with the rest of the episode, I mean, the Silurians look fantastic. We talked yes. about practical effects. Everything yes. there, all the makeup, all the civilization. Armor. When you see that, yeah. oh yeah, really good. It, it's almost like you can tell where the budget for the episode went. Yeah, and they just thought, well, we'll do the we'll do the explosion at the end. It it it, it doesn't exactly ruin. It, it, it's not a ruin, you know, ruin. Kind oh, no, of no, no, it doesn't ruin the episode. It's just one of those like it could be better. But even at the time, it was it was half decent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a small thing. It's a small thing. It's not a big yeah. issue, you know. I mean, I, I I quite happily sit and watch aliens made from bubble wrap from the seventies. This is not a big deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Same here. laughs> uh, and then Amy waves at her future self again, but this time she's on her own. Mm-hmm. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the doctor then produces what he has pulled from the crack. Her, 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 and. <laughs> turns out to be a bit of the TARDIS. Yeah. So, yeah, and that is basically the end of the episode. So yeah, well, we've, we've, we've glossed over a little point. That, that is a great way to then end the episode, by the way, and we get a voiceover from LD and about losses. The Doctor suffered and losses to come. Brilliant end to the episode. Really gets you questioning it, this whole running thing about the crack in the wall. Love it. But the Doctor has one last chat with Ambrose, and she asks why he saved her, which is a valid question. And he says, an eye for an eye is never the way. And he tells her to show Elliot another way, make him the best of humanity like she couldn't be. Mm. And it's like, I know that I know that her dad's down there, but he's not dead. He's down there to be healed, and he's going to see the future. He's going to see a thousand years. He's going to see 3010. Or 3020, sorry. She's got her son back. She's got her husband back. 
if she's murdered someone, yep. face no consequences. Yep. The only thing I can have in my mind to justify that would be I don't give a shit about her. She's she's vile. She she's she's horrid. She can die for like her. But it would be the effect on the young boy. That's yeah. the only thing I can I can justify her having no repercussions on this whole scenario is the fact that yes, she deserves it, but her boy would be affected as well, and that wouldn't be right. That's the only True. way I can justify it in my own mind. Yeah. I'm not saying leave her to die or, or execute or any or anything else. I'm just but she has not She's not faced any consequences for her actions, um, they, but at least they've left it in such a way that she is now going to make you know, her, Mo, and Elliot are going to spread the word and of, of the coming, you know, of the coming of the Salarins in a thousand years and prep for a better world. That, that, is, just, a, that is a that is a redemption of sorts. It could, I don't know, it could just lob the leg off or something, couldn't they? Well, not even that. You know, there's, there's no jail time or anything. Even is that there's there's no court now that can convict her. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, but again, it, it, it's they managed to craft some fairly complex characters in a very in a relatively short amount of time. I think that's one of the real strengths of this episode, you know, with with Alea and and Ambrose and Restack and Malachan, and then the parallels between you know between each other, and then with Malachan the Doctor and, and Nazarene's a great character. All of that that is for me the big strength of this uh, this two parter. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Ah, so there we go. Um, overall, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I, I love the bad. touch. Yeah, I love the touch back to any classic Who. Well, yeah, I say that the Sea Devils are a bit wobbly, aren't they? But apart from that, <laughs> I, I enjoy the touch back to pretty much any classic Who villain or bad guy. Um, it's thought provoking with the different aspects of trying to make peace and share the planet and so on. I love the touches back to the, the, the John Pertwee story. That is superb. The ending, as we've touched upon, feels a bit rushed and certain. We're watching it out of context, of course. We're not watching it as in the weekly television. So we're not. Obviously, both of us and, and people listening, I imagine, can remember the whole crack in the wall story. And every time you saw it, it was a proper, oh, my God, moment and so on. But mm. taking just this story out of context, I feel that we could potentially lose a little bit of that, especially on the first reveal of the bit of the TARDIS in the Doctor's pocket. So my concentration is more so on the story we've just watched rather than the ongoing story that spreads across the whole season. Yeah. And I feel the end felt a bit, a bit rushed, a bit misplaced time-wise to make room for the ongoing story, which was a real shame because the build-up to these closing scenes was so good. But yeah, overall, mate, I really enjoyed this. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's decent. It's good. I enjoy this. And, and you say about taking, you know, taking it as we find it, which is what we do on this show. When, when you actually add this into context. Everything makes much more sense and, and, and is a lot better. You understand why the significance of the crack and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I get, I get what you mean. It's one of those where I, I, it was sort of middle of the road for me when I initially watched it. It wasn't yeah. my favourite. wasn't the worst. Like I said before, I'd have it on in the background. Um, I've got a great appreciation for it now. A bit like when we did the Family of Blood 2 part with Gary way back when. Oh, in, yeah. uh, in season two, you know. Uh, it's not at that Is level. Is it that long ago? Why? Yeah, yeah. It's not at that level. 
because um, I really, really do love that uh, that two-parter now. Uh, but I can see this being solid upper mid-table. Yeah. Maybe. But because, of, again, because I've watched this so many times, um, I think there may be a potential for it to slide down because, you know, when I'm watching new stuff, I'll be hopefully blown away by it. Now, do you think that it's possible this gets overlooked because of its placement in the story sequence, I suppose, because the next episode is the Doctor and Vincent, which is one of the best of all time. Fantastic. And before this is Amy's Choice, I think. Which was also fantastic. Maybe this gets lost a little bit in in that shuffle of having two stories so good either side of it. Do you know what? I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there, because Amy's choice was fantastic. I really love that episode. Uh, Toby Toby Jones, who plays the Dream Lord, is brilliant in it, and it's two separate stories. It's brute, it's ace, and then Vincent and the Doctor just go back to season one and, and listen to what I think about that episode. Yeah, it's one yeah. of my favourites of all time. So maybe, yeah, because it's it's not as strong as either of those, but no. one of those is an absolute all timer. So, yeah, maybe it does. Maybe it does, because there is a lot to like in this on its own merit. Um, It's just not as good as what came before or after it. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Speaking of coming after it, um, what are we doing next week? A tear, Sarah Jane. Um, (laughs) Next week. So this one uh, was picked for us by AB, who we covered Mark of the Rani with. She picked uh, Hungry Earth and Cold Blood for us. Next week, we are going to the... Uh, Jodie Whittaker era, uh, which was picked for us by Rob uh, for, for his daughter Beth, and we're going to cover Fugitive of the Jadoon. Ah, filmed 10 minutes from where I'm sat right now. You get prepared for a lot of that, folks. Well, 15 um, minutes-ish. Yeah. Uh, so, Sai will give you a tour of Gloucester through this episode, and I'll sit back, nod, and pretend like I care. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do, actually. I'll go and... Um... I'll go and stand in these certain locations and take some pictures and stuff so people can see what it yeah, looks like. Yeah, if you whack, uh, put it up when we do the uh, when we put the episode out. Yeah, I could walk. I can walk through the whole um, area, and, and you know, I, I don't know if it's still open, but the place where is it a cake shop? Yes. Yeah, um, I know which build. That's a cafe, but I don't know if it's still open. If it is, I'll uh, I'll nip in there as well. I'll take a few pictures and videos and, and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Walk in, take a few pictures, don't buy anything, walk out. Yeah, that's my style, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask the local strip club. Anyway. Um... Oh, <laughs> no, that shut down years ago. Probably because I didn't buy anything. Um... Yeah. <laughs> so, still on the New Who track with Jodie Whittaker next week. Uh, looking forward to that, mate. Talking a bit of, um, you know. Yeah, I am. It, it's one I've not gone back and watched. Um since it aired, I don't think. Mm. I think I watched it a couple of times in the week it aired. But yeah, going back and having a look at that, it'll do it for me. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I know we get the whole new different Doctor thing and TARDIS buried and all that sort of stuff as well, don't we, that comes into it. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. going to be interesting. Okie doke. Where can people find you online? 
uh, online. I'm over on that Twitter X Twix thing uh, at Dan Griffin 21, usually tweeting a load of old bollocks about a variety of different subjects. Uh, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm over on Unbooking the Territory with my co-host UTT Rob, where in the main show we look at the first and last of wrestling and we've got side projects uh, such as Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times of the in-ring career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr David Tank Abbott. Uh, we've got Unputting the Territory, where we're looking at the uh, how the being the elite championship was uh, changing hands via legitimate sporting competition, uh, including Gator Golf and a variety of clubhouse games. Season two will be dropping uh, fairly shortly, I think, in the next in the next few weeks. Uh, and we've also got Unstacking Daditory, where we're looking at every surviving match uh, that Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks were involved in from 1977 all the way through to their match at Wembley in 1981, when 18 million people uh, watched watched live on telly, and then there was obviously. Uh, loads in the arena as well. It's a great, uh, great education for me in British wrestling, and it's a right good laugh. We do a little bit, a few other bits and pieces as well, looking at mad, uh, mad, mad job adverts from the time, and and a couple of, like I say, little things like that. And lastly, but by no means leastly, you can find me on SJP World Media, where I do the volley with my strike partners, the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy, primarily providing alternative commentary for Premier League games. But we've also dipped our toe into the MLS, and we'll be doing that coming up as well. And we'll see whichever, you know, whatever games come up and, and where the uh, the season takes us. So do come along with that. And uh, I always have a pie at half-time as well. Lovely. Lovely stuff, eh? Yeah. <laughs> God, that's a lot. I do a lot, don't I? Jesus. Do you, mate? It's good. It's good to keep busy, though. Keep you out of trouble, in theory. In theory, um, in- and, unless we meet up in Birmingham, get trolleyed and rocking at twenty past five in the morning. I don't recall. Um, we- <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm involved in, you can find and follow by the network that carries this show. So that's at SJP World Media on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and all your podcast players, platforms, and providers, etc., etc., etc. We've got all sorts going on: Quantum Leap podcast called The Waiting Room, lots of wrestling content, uh, all sorts of stuff. Go, go and check it out: music content and all sorts. Just just dive on in there. Follow the social medias, check out the shows, and uh, I like to think there's a little bit of something for everyone on there in one way or another. Um, but most importantly, you can find and follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D R W H O P O D at the Doctor Who Pod. And lastly, what I would like you all to do, please, is if you can take the time to go and follow an additional twitter account or x or whatever uh entitled sjp world of rock and it's simply that at sjp world of rock it's a little project that is going to be well it should in theory i'm not 100 sure when we're putting this one out it won't okay it won't be live by the time this this comes out but next episode may well do so make sure you're following that one as well um and it's just basically me asking for a little bit of help and support with that it would be hugely hugely appreciated i have had a blast once again dan i'm looking forward to having a little stroll around my home uh, my home city taking some pictures of all the local crackheads and disgusting people that surround the area and maybe <laughs> get some doctor who scenery in the background too i'll speak to you next week my friend Catch you soon, bud, can't wait. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Fisting the glowing hole. Mm-hmm. Big cool. <laughs> Drilling. <laughs> it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go.
was a nice nap. Now, down to business.